We had the blessing of enjoying opening day, both in Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. We had many of the usual activities, but also the unusual and even unique. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. One of the many blessings we receive from the Lord, and their number is too great to count, includes the fact that opening day comes around every spring. And every spring, we get treated to special things on opening day. And then, of course, we have the rest of the season and the postseason. Each year, we get to witness the normal activities and action that surround the festivities of opening day. But sometimes, we get to see things that are very unusual. This year on opening day, we also got to witness that which is unique, both for Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. Before looking at the unique nature of opening day 2023, I want to look at a few of the noteworthy and unusual things that took place on Thursday. As usual, opening day had its share of great highlights. Here we are, new season. Doors are open, come on in. Something else, there's nothing like it, the captain. L. Judge. Does this man have a sense of theater or what? Does it have enough? It's gone! How about an opening day cruise missile? Number 11, Anthony Wolfie. Welcome to St. Louis. Unbelievable grass. What was that? That was ridiculous. <laughs> 11 strikeouts. Swing and a miss. Right through. Cut through on opening day. They had to dig fight, claw, scratch for everything from every angle. What a day to celebrate. It was indeed a day to celebrate. For the first time since 1968, every Major League Baseball team played on opening day. That's been a long time. I hope this is a pattern that is in place as we move forward. Some of what you heard in that audio clip, and of course it is accompanied by video as well, But some of the things that you heard included Aaron Judge picking up where he left off. The Yankee outfielder hit a home run on opening day. O'Neill Cruz of the Pittsburgh Pirates hit home run number one to tie the game with the Cincinnati Reds 1-1 off of 101. That is, he hit a 101-mile-an-hour fastball by Hunter Green out of the ballpark. The unbelievable grab you heard described. And trust me, no description can do this justice. You need to see it if you haven't. That catch was made by Hunter Renfro, an outfielder for the Angels. Otani was on the mound. He made that catch in the fifth inning of their game against Oakland. If you have not seen it, you have to go check it out. I've never seen a catch like that by an outfielder in my life. You heard of a St. Louis rookie, Jordan Walker, who's 20 years old from Stone Mountain, Georgia, making his debut with the Cardinals. You also heard the name of another man who made his debut, another young player, another highly touted player, Anthony Volpe, 
who started at shortstop for the Yankees. Volpe is 21 years old. He'll turn 22 before this month is out. But he is the youngest Yankee player to debut in opening day or in the lineup on opening day for the Yankees since, and I think you've heard of this guy, since Mickey Mantle. Moving from young to old, moving from what was in that clip to what was not in that clip, Miguel Cabrera with the Tigers played his 20th opening day. And it is his final opening day. He is retiring at the end of this season. Last year, we had the privilege of watching Albert Pujols in his final season. This year, Miguel Cabrera, two of the greatest right-handed hitters ever to play the game. In that game on opening day, Miggy hit a double, which tied him at number 23 all-time for most hits in a Major League Baseball career, 3,089 career hits. He will undoubtedly move ahead, move into number 22, as he's tied for 23, before the season is out. But who did he tie? He hit a double, I think I mentioned that, but the the 3,089 career hits ties Ichiro. And consider this, that's a lot of hits for anybody, but Ichiro did not start collecting Major League hits until he was, I think, 26 or 27 years old. Talk about a great career. So what about the unique aspect of 2023 and opening day. At the major league level, for the first time ever, and this is not news to anybody who follows the game in any capacity, for the first time ever, we have a clock in a major league baseball game. In previous episodes, I talked about the fact that I do not like the pitch clock. I talked about going to a minor league game last year, the West Michigan Whitecaps, and saying, I saw the clock in action, It undoubtedly helped the pace of play. It moved the game along. No question about that. I've also said that I am in favor of increased pace of play. I think it's good for the game. I think it's good for the fans. I think it's good especially for the pitchers. But I'm not in favor of the means to that end. I do not like the pitch clock. As I said, I I saw it work. And I could guarantee that it's going to reduce time of games. Well... The average game time for opening day in 2022, hence without the pitch clock, was 3 hours and 11 minutes. This year, 2 hours 45 minutes. Almost a half hour less game time, or shorter game time, or quicker game time. So again, it works. It's going to work, I believe, as it regards the time of the game. However, I think too much is being given up. In other words, the means to accomplish this end is not a good way to go about it. Howie Rose, who's been a broadcaster for many, many years, he's been with the Mets for almost 30 years now, tweeted this out. It feels almost as though I'm calling a hockey game. That's how quickly it's moving along. Hardly an opportunity to take a beat to let the game breathe. Is it noticeable to you? Is it an uncomfortable listen? Would like some input to see what needs to be tweaked. Thanks. Now, I looked at some of the responses, and they were all over the board. Some of them yelling and screaming as if Howie Rose was denouncing the pitch clock. Others, indeed, denouncing the pitch clock. I don't know what Howie Rose's view is on the pitch clock, but as it regards this tweet, I got him simply saying, all right, this is how it was for me. How was it for you listening? 
I want to hear some feedback. I want to be better. I want to tweak things, hopefully, if I can. But one thing that he said in that tweet really jumps out at me. Hardly an opportunity to take a beat to let the game breathe. That, to me, is why the pitch clock shouldn't be there. Yes, things need to pick up. Yes, it needs to go back to the way it was played 20, 30, 40 years ago as far as the pace of play, but not with a pitch clock. The One of the things, of many, that are beautiful about the game of baseball is that it lets people breathe. Announcers, players, umpires, managers and coaches, fans. It gives people an opportunity to think. Maybe the hitter stepping out of the box to gather himself or the pitcher stepping off the mound to rub up the baseball to, to, to try to flush away what's going on. Or me and my son sitting in the stands and having an opportunity to say to my son, you know, he threw that pitch there and here's why I think he did that. I think that's what we have lost. I know it's early. I know that the players are going to make the adjustment. They kept saying that all through spring training. Players will make the adjustment. I don't have any doubt that they will. But at what cost? I think at the cost of letting the game breathe. The cost of a father telling his son what's going on in the game, teaching his son the game, teaching his son how to score the game. At the cost of storytelling. Just in the last year, we lost one of the greatest storytellers of all time in sports, Vin Scully. I think all of that is going to be gone. Now, Howie Rose gave us one angle of what was unique about opening day, the angle from the broadcast booth. But then, of course, we have the other angle, the angle from what takes place on the field. During spring training and early on in this season, I think everybody understood we were going to see some things. Violations on pitchers, violations on hitters, umpires getting things messed up, uh, managers getting things, whatever the case may be. And we saw them in spring training. But there was a violation that I never considered happening. And none, and this happened on opening day, none more bizarre or bogus than this one. What's going on? They're going to reset the pitch clock because it took Alonzo time to get back right. to first base. Oh, I like the call that... Did they call a, a ball because Alonzo took his time going back to first? Maybe they called, they called a, strike. a strike. They called it a strike. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, how can how can McNeil? They're get, supposed get to wait for the for the base runners to get within reasonable distance of the base before they reset the clock. Well, that's a mistake by Vanover and his crew. If they, if they call a strike on him, it's a big mistake. You can't penalize the hitter. He didn't do anything. <laughs> There's no one in position to play. That, that's just not right. I don't know if that's indeed what happened. Now they're saying, uh, Stalling's saying it's 0-2. Yeah. Oh, man. So they did charge a strike because Alonzo that's... took too much time going back to first base. Wow. That's absurd. Yep. That's what happened. Did I tell you that I'm not a fan of the pitch clock? And I agree with Ron Darling. That's absurd. So what was going on, if you're not familiar, Pete Alonzo was on first base. Jeff McNeil was at the plate. And I guess there was a foul ball, and Pete Alonzo took longer to get back to first base than the umpires thought was legitimate. And so they gave Jeff McNeil a strike. They penalized the batter. When the defense, and because Alonzo was not back at first base yet, Alonzo, and then the defense as well, was not even ready. And I hope something like that never happens again. But I think we're going to see some bizarre 
pitch clock violations that we did not consider. And as I mentioned, I did not consider that one at all until I saw that it actually happened. Now, on a less serious note about opening day, but I would say even more hitting, we had this. Now, like the Renfro catch, you have to see this, but the audio was worthwhile. Here's what was going on. It was at a game at Dodger Stadium, and some guy thought he'd be cute, I guess. I don't know what he was thinking, but in between innings, he got out of the left field bleachers, ran into the middle of the outfielder, was on one knee, popped the ring box open, and was proposing to his girlfriend up in the stands. And you could hear at first the fans were like, get off the field. What, What are you doing? And then all of a sudden, about 10 or 12 seconds left in the clip, you hear, whoa! (laughs) Well, what happened is that as that guy was kneeling and proposing to his daughter, from the right side of the screen, you see a security guard at Dodger Stadium come sprinting out and absolutely drill the guy. I don't know if the security guard used to play football at USC or what, but I know this much. That guy was living for a moment like that, and it was hilarious to watch. Even just to listen to the audio is pretty funny. But that, again, I think is unique. I've never seen that happen. But not only did we have unique in Major League Baseball on opening day, but unique in Minor League Baseball. Now, of course, Minor League Baseball has had the pitch clock. That is not what was unique about opening day. For the first time ever in the history of Minor League Baseball, Minor league players opened their season, and I do have to make this caveat, AAA opened their season. The rest of minor league baseball will open their season on Thursday. But nonetheless, minor league baseball players opened a season with an agreement in place for collective bargaining, or to say it differently, a collective bargaining agreement in place. It's not been ratified yet. 99% of the players voted in favor of it. And what now it awaits in order for it to be official is the owner's uh, owner's approval, which could take place today. There are a lot of things included in this agreement. Again, not yet ratified, but could be as early as today. One is, for the first time ever, again, unique, players are going to be paid outside the season, minor league players. Major league players sometimes have that happen. They're going to be paid basically year-round. There's going to be six weeks during the winter when they're not, when they're not being paid, but otherwise year-round. And listen to this increase in minimum salaries. So if you were in the complex leagues, which would be in Arizona or Florida, the annual salary was minimum was $4,800. It is now going to be $19,800. Low A, minimum had been eleven. If this agreement goes through, $26,200. In high A, also had been a minimum of eleven. It will go up to $27,300. Double A, former $13,800, new $30,250. Triple A, and this is true, think about this now, you're at the highest level of minor league baseball. But if you have not been in the big leagues or you have not been put on the 40-man roster, This is the salary a lot of these guys make at AAA. It had been a minimum 
of $17,500. It's going to go up to $35,800. So they're finally getting paid. Now, I thought back to, I didn't play in the complex league, but I played in rookie ball or short season A ball. So it was kind of like that. My first year, Everett Washington, 1987, that whole year, I made $1,800. That's because I was drafted in June and the season doesn't start until mid to late June. The next year, what was low A ball, I played in Clinton, Iowa. For the summer, I made about $4,000. My next year, I was in high A ball and I made all of $4,500. Now, after that, I got to the big leagues and so then I had, even in the minor leagues, I had a good salary. That's how much we made. Now, it's better now, but with inflation, who knows? But I know this much. If this CBA gets signed and puts in place, these minor league players are going to be much better off as it regards salary. Also, they're going to get paid during minor league spring training. Added to that, there are going to be 401k plans for the players. There is going to be the possibility of filing for grievance and and having a hearing in front of a neutral arbitrator. All of these things. Here's good news. In this deal, it is guaranteeing that no more minor league teams, that is, no more cities that have minor league baseball, will lose a team for the next five years. The number of minor league teams will remain the same for the next five years. But, here's the other end of it. For those that play in the United States, in other words, those who are not at the complexes down in Latin America, primarily the Dominican Republic, there is going to be a drop starting next year. Currently, the maximum number of minor league players in the United States that you can have, and by you I mean any organization, is 180. Starting next year, that's going to drop down to 165. 30 organizations, 15 players per organization, means that there will be 450 less minor league baseball players in 2024 than there are going to be in 2023. Now, I am very happy for the players. And even though I brought up my past salary, I'm not in any way bitter at all. As a matter of fact, I do think there is some value in having no value or not receiving any compensation of value. I think for a lot of us that went through that, the, the grind of minor league baseball, the, uh, the ability to figure out how to get by, the, the requirement that you had to gather with your teammates sometimes because you're in a city and it's 1130 at night and there's not anything open and so you all have to sit in a room and order pizza together. I think those things have some significant advantages. That said, though, this is good, I believe. I think most fans of the game would believe it's good. Former players like myself would believe it's good. Obviously, current minor league players, 99% voted for it. So this is a good thing. It's good for the players. It's good for the game. It's good for the fans. That, however, is a far cry from what many fans, including former professional players, and I would say, and I'm on that list, what they think about the new rules, especially the pitch clock, which I've mentioned, but also the limited numbers of pickoffs or step-offs for a pitcher to, to throw to first or step off and try to hold the runner. The pitch clock, I think, as do many others, is going to play a huge advantage on behalf of the pitchers. The pickoff slash step-off limitation is going to play as a huge advantage for base runners. But I see this, and so do many others, as not good for the game. 
bad. Bad for the game, bad for the players, and ultimately bad for the fans. Now, I just read this morning one current player, Bryce Harper, who said this. I know a lot of players that want our game back, but it is what it is right now. So we're not only talking about old fogies like me who want the game back, we're talking about a superstar like Bryce Harper who says, not only me, but a lot of players want our game back. But it is what it is right now. Of course, they and we, that those of us who think it's not good, hope that it doesn't remain what it is right now, that we do get our game back. But whether it's Bryce Harper, whether it's Mark Dewey, whether it's other former major leaguers, whether it's people in the game in other capacities, many of the people who are saying that baseball is going in a wrong direction, that that we want our game back, that where it is right now is not good, many will say that what the problem is fundamentally is that baseball is being run by those who do not have the best interest of the game at heart, they don't really know or care about the game from a player's perspective, and that these changes are being made fundamentally for consumers, not true baseball fans. I have to say that people who think such things are not without warrant. There is definitely some merit to what they claim. I don't know for certain if it's accurate, but I do know this. If it is accurate, it's also conducive to my view. I have said at least a few times, I believe baseball, and I'm speaking now about Major League Baseball as organizations, 30 organizations, that what we see in baseball is a microcosm of our culture. And so if the thoughts are accurate, that the game is being run by those who don't have the best interest of the game at heart, don't really care or know much about it, and the changes are being made for people that aren't really fans of the game, then as a microcosm of our culture, I see this. If that's a correct assessment, it mirrors those who are running the two countries that have Major League Baseball teams, the United States and Canada. These countries are being run by people who don't have the best interests of the nation at heart, being run by and for those who don't care very much about our God-given rights nor the crown rights of King Jesus. Now, I have to take back what I just said. I try to speak the truth in love, and my statement did not meet that criteria. I was wrong. Wrong to say that they don't care very much about our God-given rights, nor the crown rights of King Jesus. That's wrong. The truth is, they hate our triune God, and they hate those of us who walk in obedience to King Jesus. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for listening.